I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, LiveWire is making changes. You may have noticed that we're recording even more shows for your listening pleasure. That means double the chances to see our live show. Visit our website at LiveWireRadio.org, check our live schedule, and reserve your seats. Come see the controlled chaos of a live show. You won't regret it. Line 15 to City Center. Hello? Hello? What? Who's this? Huh? Who? Oh, yo, yo, what, what, what's cracking, Navitra? That's cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm on the bus. On the bus. The bus! Yeah, you know, girl. Check it. That felt real good being with you last night. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it was special to be with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, to get with you. You know what I'm saying? But that thing that didn't happen, that was like a freak event, see? I am not like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just a side effect of, like, my anti-anxiety meds. You know, I get shy and withdrawn in social situations. I'm, like, stupid shy. I said I'm shy! Next stop, 39th Avenue. No, girl, that was the bus driver. I'm on the bus. The bus! Uh, Damn, somebody up in here smells funky. Yo, girl, I got another call. I gotta go. Peace. Hello? Hello? Hey, what up, Tercel? Where you at, girl? Nah, I'm, uh, yeah, baby, I'm at the club. Yeah, me and the DJ uh, laying down some rhymes right now. Southeast 39th, transfer to line 75. Uh-huh, that's him. Yeah, he's fresh. What? What? Nah, don't even worry about that. Yeah, doctor said those bumps were from shaving it. Huh? Yeah, hold up. No, you didn't get nothing from me. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Hello? Hello? Damn my phone. Why you got to drop my call? Bingo! Hey! All right, we may have a winner at Cell Talker Bus Bingo. Let me just verify. Okay, I got obnoxious ringtone. Check. Loudly repeating, I'm on the bus. Check. Awkward account of sexual exploits. Yeah, check. A rude personal remark made about people nearby as if they're unable to hear it. Okay, check. Disclosure of medical information in violation of HIPAA. Check. And dropped call. That's a bingo. Man, all I needed was a racial slur, and I would have had four corners. Yo, what the WTF you guys talking about? Oh, uh, well, we're playing cell talker bus bingo. You mean all of y'all just playing some kind of bingo on me? Well, not the driver. He's reading his Kindle. (laughs) Okay, okay, check that, man. You're intruding on my private communications and personal space. Yeah, the thing is, that's how everybody else on the bus feels about people like you and your phone and all the secondhand cell phone calls we're exposed to. Yeah, we gave up trying to educate you or change you. We finally decided to embrace you rotten bananas and make banana bread. Yo, I like banana bread. As long as it's vegan. <gasps> oh, bingo! Two-dimensional comedic character, cynical but safe for public radio social commentary, place sitting in subject matter, capitalizing on an aural medium, a satirical rant, and a vegan reference. Sure enough, that's bingo. What kind of bingo is that? Oh, it's... It's... And now it's the host of Livewire, who's never 
and strip poker in a cab, Courtney Hameister! Thank you so much for coming out, you guys. We have a fabulous lineup for you tonight. Uh, we, we have the folks from the hit Canadian show Grievous Angel about music legend Graham Parsons. They're here tonight. Members of the creative team behind Old Spice's wildly popular Man Your Man Could Smell Like campaign. Eric Coleman and Jason Bagley are here. And our musical guest tonight is the great bluesman Curtis Salgado, who brought along Alan Hager with him. Yeah, so it's going to be a good show. Before we get to all that fabulousness, please meet the amazing members of Faces for Radio Theater. Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, Laura Faye Smith, and our fabulous Philin Foley guy, Mr. David Ian. And we can't do any of it without our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Halloween classic, Icky Teeth. A lot of people don't realize that, that, that some people go Halloween caroling. Um, and yeah, it's just one of the very famous Halloween carols. Um, as I said, tonight we've, we have a lot of influential people on the show. Uh, Curtis Salgado is here. He's a highly influential blues musician. We have the cast of a show about influential rock and country pioneer Graham Parsons. And some guys who have probably changed the face of advertising, at least for a while. Um, and it got me thinking about, about influences, mostly about a specific story some of you might not know, some of you may. And it's that Curtis Salgado was the inspiration for the Blues Brothers. Uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd's half-real, half-fake mu- musical personas. Uh, what happened was that John and Dan were filming Animal House in Eugene, where Curtis lived. And John was bored one night, and he just wandered into a club, and Curtis was playing. And he loved the music, and he asked him if he could teach him a few things. Curtis obliged, and later on Saturday Night Live, the Blues Brothers were born. Um, using, actually, a lot of Curtis's riffs, um, vocal riffs and, and uh, song riffs. And, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, because it's a combination of a form of music that was created to help lift people out of the depths, and comedy, which often comes from a place of pain, horrible shame, depression... Right? Am I right, people? It's hilarious. Um, and it's John Belushi, right? Uh, so he, was, he may have been in a little bit of pain. I hear stories like this, and I don't know about you, but I just wish that I could have been there at the time, you know, just watching them practice and been in the room as this idea bubbled up in their minds. And, and you wonder if when people do something like this that they know it at the time, that they know what they're doing, that they're creating this iconic thing, right, that people are just going to watch and listen to all the time and, and emulate... And my guess is that the answer most of the time is no. They just, they're just doing what they're doing, right? This was just a couple of guys. They were singing some songs, dancing like jackasses. And I, my guess is there weren't any angels singing or dramatic montage music in the background, you know, while they were working on the stuff. Just two guys making each other laugh. And I think that everybody who creates art in any form should try to remember this and respect your jackassiest ideas um, as they come to you and, and the things that please you because, you know, it might land you in a movie with Aretha Franklin playing your waitress, you know? <laughs> you just never know what you're going to do that's going to influence people. Um, it's, and, and, and that becomes pretty inspiring when you realize how random it is and that it can kind of happen to anybody. But we'll probably talk to Curtis about that later. Um, and in fact, uh, not that much later. He's going to join us on our stage soon. He probably started listening to blues uh, and jazz in the womb, he was an accomplished harmonica player at a young age. He sang and played with Robert Cray Band for six years. He was in the Grammy Award-winning Boston band Roomful of Blues. He's released six solo records, including his most recent Clean Getaway. He's shared the stage with Bonnie Raitt, Muddy Waters, and B.B. King. And tonight, we're very lucky because he's going to share the stage with us. Please welcome Curtis Salgado and Alan Hager to Livewire. <laughs>
tears on my pillow. I just wanna run in the veins. Bloody tears on my pillow. I just wanna run in the veins. Oh, I just found out she getting ready to go out again. You know I'd give it every dime Lord, if I had $10 million dollars You know I'd give it every dime Well, just to hear it call me daddy Call me Curtis one more time If you see my woman Tell her I'm down on my knees trying One more time Yeah, we've wanted to have you on for a long time. Um, is there some sort of algorithm, or have they done any studies to figure out why the blues are s- so sexy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the blues, there's a famous blues guy a long time ago that put it perfectly. Uh, is Basically, the blues is about men and women. And between that is an energy of sex. And so... You know, you can't help it. It's in our DNA. Right. Back then, I don't even think they knew what the word was. But um, it's about love between men and women on all levels. Good times. Blues is always, when they always used to be. But it's a very, very sophisticated art form. And it goes way, way back. And it's American culture all the way around. And it's, you know, not only 
the blues is like from hillbilly music to, you know, uh, African-influenced black music. Well, and, and speaking of it being around for a really long time, you have been playing jazz and the blues for, for probably most of your life at this point. Does it, ever, does it ever come to a point where you stop discovering new things about music or you just sort of feel like, oh, I, I've learned everything, I'm done? No, I'm, I'm a, no, no. I'm a, I wish I could read music. I can't read music. This guy right here can read. He can, he can read fly shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of move it around on the lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah as, so as that it works. As long as it's in B flat. So this, this <laughs> I don't consider, no, I have so much to learn, you know. For me, I'm just about, you know, I wish I knew all the stuff that this gentleman knew. Well, this and, is Alan Hager, by the way. He, too, is just to throw that out there now. Yeah. And you guys are working on so, a record yeah. together. We are. Yes, we are. But our, our <laughs> recording is going to be very sexy. Good, good. And the actual recording of it is going to be sexy. Are you guys going to not wear any clothes during nah. the recording? Just yeah, tidy whities and yeah. No man. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, going. You know. After you've been doing it for a while, do you like? Are you one of those people who needs to work to find the inspiration, or does it just sort of drop in your lap? Depends. Depends on the song. Depends on it. I'll have people send me tunes, and it'll be 30 songs, and one will pop out. And that's the one I know that will fit me. And do you, do you work better if you're actually given some parameters, or if you're just kind of left to be you know free? You, it's just like, you just, go, you just work it up. You get with somebody. I always collaborate. I will collaborate with him, because I can't say, you know, I need an E-flat with a, you know, give me an E-diminished chord over, you know. I wish I was a John Prine, or I wish I was Chris Christopherson or Bob Dylan or something. Those cats can write a song. Well, I think so that there are probably not... people who, who put you on the same level as them. And in fact, you know, I think that that happens a lot when people really respect an artist. They end up meeting them and they realize, hey, I've always been a fan. You know? and, the, and that you possibly inspired them. You never I, know. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and just one quick question. I know that John used a lot of your riffs in the Blues Brothers album, and I'm wondering what, I mean, with sampling now, what's, what are the kind of parameters or the theories around that in the blues music? Just kind of like, oh, hey, just take that. You know, it's yours. It's all yours. It belongs to the world. Well, it's, it's, it's a little more, um, it's easier said than that. First of all, it was, it was John Bellucci, if I can tell you the little story. He was in Eugene, Oregon. He came and saw me play. And uh, a couple of uh, hanger-ons were over-listening, overhearing him say, who's the singer? I want to meet him. So this guy ran up and was yanking on my pant leg and said, Bellucci wants to meet you. And I looked down and told him to, you know, go away, basically, because I was in the middle of a song. And secondly, I don't know who John Bellucci is because we worked every Saturday night. I never saw <laughs> I didn't see Saturday Night Live, so I didn't know or care who he was, and I yeah. told the guy to buzz off. And so I jumped off the stage, and he yanks me over, and I meet this guy, and he's about, he's about this wide and, about, and just about nose level to me. And uh, I shook his hand, and I kind of stepped back and said, yes, and he says, I really like you. you. You play hard, man. I really like your music. Great. And so anyhow... Um, after that, he started mentioning that he was with the Saturday Night Live. I didn't know what it was. He said, I'm going to have Ray Charles on the show. And that's when I attacked him. <laughs> so it wasn't Belushi that impressed you. It was Ray Charles. It was Ray Charles. And yeah. I didn't know who he was. I said, you've got to ask Ray Charles. Did you know he plays alto saxophone? He does. And then I said, did you ever heard of Guitar Slim? He, he arranged this famous blues song called The Things I Used to Do, mm-hmm. and which is... a a classic blues song from the 1950s. And uh, that's how I am. See, I'll just get going. So I just went, blah, 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 blah. We ended up making friends. We went up and smoked a doob in the hotel room. <laughs> no! Downstairs. What? Came downstairs. We partied. He said, you know, come over to my house. And I started, he, he was interested in it. So here's the, the real thing is Dan Aykroyd had a band that he liked from Canada, Toronto. And he was already into the blues and into the stuff. And Dan is extremely brilliant. And he had a band called the Downchild Blues Band. And so I was feeding John songs. And Dan was feeding him. And long story short, the two of that made the Blues Brothers. 
I was sitting in the living room with John. I came in and said, we're going to do a skit, and we're going to call ourselves the Blues Brothers. And he already had uh, Jake and Elwood printed on his hands. <laughs> and he already was doing the skit. There's going to be a complete documentary. A month ago, they flew me to L.A., and I did a four-hour interview, and I'm sure only a few minutes will be on, but they, they're doing a full documentary on Bellucci, two and a half hours. Wow. Well, we'll look for that, yeah. and you're going to be in it, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, and we're going to see you again later in the show. Curtis Salgado Thank you. and Alan Hager. If you live in the Portland area and you're interested in seeing Curtis and Alan, they will be at the Blue Monk every other Thursday, November 18th, December 2nd, 16th, and 30th. And Curtis and his band will appear at Jimmy Max in Portland on December 11th. Trick or treat! Oh, how cute! And who are you, little guy, Peppermint Patty? No, I'm supposed to be Justin Bieber. See, with my voice box torn out? Oh, okay. One Jolly Rancher for you, and uh, you, you look like that sponge yellow square man. SpongeBob SquarePants. Jeez, show's been on for like 15 years lately. Oh, you'd think you'd okay. figure it out. Sorry, I didn't know. Uh, here's one Tootsie Roll. <laughs> Plop. And uh, you, what are you, like an angel or something with your harp and your white robe? I am but a humble shadow compared to thy statuesque beauty, madam. Oh, well, thank you. I am only a simple poet who wishes to praise your generosity in verse accompanied by my lute. You are the answer to all my preteen prayers, O oh porchlit princess. There are not sufficient words to praise you, O oh confectionary queen, for there is nothing fairer in all the land than you, maiden of the milk dud, who so generously from your cornucopia of delicious goodness giveth of the Milky Way, the Snickers, and offeth the Twix. That was just beautiful. Not in all my... Oh, my God. Here, just take it all. Take all the candy. Oh, Harold, you'll never guess what happened. Oh, my God. Okay, I've had enough of this crap. That's like the third house you've done this at. Yeah. You got like 600 pieces already. I got like three. If you don't give us some of that candy, I'm totally kicking your poety butt. N- no way. Back off, Peppermint Bieber. <laughs> this is a sweet gig. I've been scoring huge since I came up with this poet idea. And I told you no one would get your costume. Yeah, poet dude, give me some candy, you dumb doofy doof. Yeah. Why did he even bring his poet butt? My mom made me. God, let's just go to the next house. You better keep your little poet mouth shut or it's going to be missing some teeth. Yeah. Trick or treat! Oh, you sweethearts. Let's see what we've got here. Oh, I know what you are. I'm not Peppermint Patty. I know that. Ellen DeGeneres. Okay, little lady. Here's a toothbrush and a penny. Wait. Wait, no. I'm, I'm Bieber... Bieberkus, and I've composed a special song for you because you are the great woman with great bowls of beautiful beauty. Baby, you should give me that Twix because I'm fresh out of tricks. You're as pretty as Princess Peach on my PlayStation 3. Where'd you get a keyboard? Don't make me TP your yard because that's actually hard and I don't have money to buy. Double ply. Hey, look, she's Your Halloween sweaters cast a spell on me And my sweet tooth's crying out for some candy bowl lovin' Candy bowl lovin' Just for you, the queen of 1118 Northeast 95th Avenue. Oh, I can't take it. Here, just take all the candy, peppermint. Ellen, oh, leave me now. Booyah, direct hit, man, that was sweet. Hey, Billie Jean Bieber, that's my gig. Back off. 
screw you. I'm totally doing that again. Wait, where did SpongeBob go? He's already at the next house. Hey, wait! Trick or treat. Oh, hello, SpongeBob. Yes, I am SpongeBob, here to enchant you with uh, my special bikini bottom Halloween dance. Because you're pretty and stuff, and because like the moon is like uh, lighting your boobage area in a, in a kind of a nice way over the candy bowl or, or something. Oh, brother, what's SpongeBob doing? Does he have to take a whiz or what? Uh, Jeff, get out here quick. There's a kid in a SpongeBob costume having a seizure on our front porch. Think of something quick. She's dialing 911 and trying to put a piece of wood in his mouth. Okay, I, I got an idea. What? Lady, lady, give him all your candy because he's diabetic with diabetes and he needs sugar immediately. Oh, oh my God, here, just take it all, take it all. For Christ's sake, shut the porch light. We're not home, we're not home. They'll sue us for sure. Holy, look at all this candy. Sweet. Sweet. Hey, I want to fake the seizure at the next house. Wait up, guys. The dance, I mean, the seizure was my idea. You're listening to Livewire Radio. With music, conversation, and comedy, we stimulate every part of your brain, even the parts you thought you killed doing beer bongs at college keggers. Coming up, music from Grievous Angel, the creative team behind those hilarious Old Spice ads. We'll be right back. Next up, we've got a tribute to a rock legend. Uh, Graham Parsons died at 26 in 1973, but even now he's seen by a lot of people as giving birth to the Americana and alt-country movements in music. His music was really beautiful, but his life was really tragic. It read like a, a gothic novel. In 1973, he gave his last interview to Michael Bate, and it was that interview that inspired the show Grievous Angel, The Legend of Graham Parsons. The show had a hugely successful run in Canada and has been touring the West Coast all this month, so please welcome Anders Drerup and Kelly Prescott as Graham and Emmy Lou Harris and writer director Michael Bate to Livewire. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Hi, Michael. So before he died at a young age, Graham Parsons, he didn't make a, a ton of music, but he's seen as hugely influential. Why, why is that? Uh, I think it was uh, had to do that he was one of the first artists in the late 60s, early 70s to uh, integrate different types of music into country music and to uh, expose it to R&B and soul and gospel. Uh, and he was influential because he was involved in bands like he founded the Flying Burrito Brothers, and uh, he was part of the Birds, which was a huge rock band at the time. They had eight top 40 hits, and Graham Parsons came into the band, and within two months they were recording in Nashville. And if you know Roger McGuinn, that's quite a feat because Graham just took over and then quit the band four months later. So, uh, <laughs> But they managed to put out Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and then... 
He was also a huge influence on, uh, on the Stones of the late 60s, early 70s. You can hear his influence in uh, Country Honk and uh, Sweet Virginia. Uh, Keith, he and Keith Richards were great buddies. They used to go up to the desert and do peyote buttons, lie in sleeping bags, and <laughs> look, uh, look, watch out for UFOs. So. It's turning into a theme on this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he was one of the first people to sort of blend uh, That's right. country. Yeah, he did. He, he did. It seems uh, like everybody's done "Do Right Woman" now or "Dark End of the Street," but he did. He just did this gender bending with uh, "Do Right Woman," Aretha Franklin song, and recorded it in '69 with the with the Britos. He, he is. He thought. Uh, he was a guy who thought laterally. So um, he actually he did have a really tragic life. Can you tell a little bit about? his upbringing and, and kind of what happened to him before he got into the music business? Well, it was a real sort of something straight out of Tennessee Williams. Uh, he came from a very wealthy family. His grandfather had 18,000 uh, acres of uh, orange groves. And uh, the family was, his, Graham's father committed suicide when Graham was 12 years old, alcoholic father. And uh, his mother uh, died of alcoholism on the day he graduated from high school. Uh, and Graham got, was, was, got into Harvard University uh, when he was 17, 18, and, uh, but he just jammed and did drugs the whole time, so he got bounced out of Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, his, his life is pretty tragic, I think, um, you know, all things considered. He had uh, uh, his sister, Avis, his younger sister, was institutionalized by his stepfather, the evil stepfather, Bob Parsons. And she later, after Graham died, she was killed in a boat crash. So, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, he had uh, a few strikes against him. I think, yeah. I think that his, his um, he felt that he wanted to go out, as he said publicly, he said he wanted to go out like Hank Williams, you know, in this haze of glory. And, um, and that's what he did at the did age he, of 26. Did he talk about that at all in, the, in his conversation with you in 1973, the one that's, that this is, show is based on? No, we didn't really get into that. He talked about drugs a little bit. But uh, he talked about how he discovered Emmylou Harris was, uh, was really at the top of his list, I think, with things that were important to him at that time. And, uh, and getting the next fix, I think, was the uh, second most important. And so how did you go about turning that into this show? And what can people expect when they go to see it? Uh, well, I did the interview in March of 73, and we've now just got to doing, the, doing this theatrical concert. So I'm a little slow at... Uh, at uh, Getting these things together, but I, I want to rate, I think wait to the right moment to to do this. And uh, I, I'd read about there must be about half a dozen biographies uh, on Graham, and there's a documentary film, and there's four tribute albums. But I felt that we never really heard Graham's version of events, as to you know his his side of the story. Uh, so I thought that maybe we could do a play that uh, when he gave an account of his life, and in this case, Anders as as Graham and Kelly as as Emmy Lou. Uh, there's 30% about his dialogue and about 70% is music. And in that dialogue and the music, he, he tells his story and why he wound up where he did, uh, you know, having OD'd in a cheap motel on the edge of the Mojave Desert. Um, so can you just set us up a little bit about uh, what, what we're about to hear? Well, this is the title track, actually, from his last uh, album, uh, Return of the Grievous Angel. It's, uh, it's called Grievous Angel is a song we're about to hear. And actually what happened is when I did the interview with Graham was at uh, Oliver's Club in Boston, in, uh, as I said, in 73. And that same week, a fellow by the name of Thomas Brown came and gave Graham a poem that he had written about him and talking about this, uh, you, know, you know, going across the, the America and sort of billboards and truck stops. It's sort of this panoramic uh, cinematography kind of, of song. And uh, Graham set the, set the poem to music. And then, uh, and then it was recorded and became the title track of the album, and they didn't, they didn't give uh, Thomas Brown any credit for it, so he had to write to them and, and try to get his few dollars out of it. So that's the, uh, the origins of this song. Okay, and, and this is, where does this fall in the, in, the, in the course of the show? It's about halfway through the second act, after uh, Emmy has been introduced uh, in the show, and uh, this is... Uh, Sort of one of the, uh, the signature, obviously the signature tunes of the of the show. Oh, great! Well, let's take a listen. Thanks for joining us, Thank uh, you, Michael Courtney. Bate. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Whoa. 
scratch my itch, sweet Annie Rich, and welcome me back to town. Come out on your porch, step into your parlor, and I tell you how it all went down. Out with the truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels, and a good saloon. from Grievous Angel, The Legend of Graham Parsons, and you're listening to Livewire, radio variety for people who don't like to commit to anything or anyone for longer than seven minutes. 
If you live in the Portland area, come to our November 5th show at the Alberta Rose Theater. Guests include filmmaker and music video director Lance Bangs, Congressman Earl Blumenauer, food maven Karen Brooks, and musical guests The Upside Down with special guest Peter Buck and Aaron McKeon. Visit our website at livewireradio.org for more information. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market. They help us keep Livewire crunchy, sustainable, and cheese-free. Well, in 2006, Portland ad agency Wine and Kennedy, home of Coca-Cola and Nike, uh, took on the Old Spice campaign. Uh, they started creating a buzz when they made some manly spots featuring Bruce Campbell and Neil Patrick Harris. Do you guys remember those Bruce Campbell ones? Hilarious. Uh, but it wasn't until the 2010 Super Bowl ad uh, that they made starring former football star Isaiah Mustafa, hottie, that the buzz grew to never-before-seen proportions, like 22 million hits on YouTube kind of proportions. Uh, so to see how they did that, please welcome creative director Jason Bagley and copywriter Eric Kalman to Livewire. Welcome to Livewire, you guys. Thank you. Great to have you here. For people who kind of don't understand how advertising agencies work, can you talk a little bit about what you guys do when someone brings you a project or asks for a campaign? Oh, when a client? Mm-hmm. Uh, they tell us they have some money, <laughs> and they would like to spend that money. Uh, in this case, our client came to us, and we usually have a budget for the year, and we kind of plan out. Everything's very well planned out. And in, in the case of the, the Man You Man Can Smell Like, the original campaign, they came to us a little bit later. It was kind of an impromptu assignment that they wanted to get on the Super Bowl, and we didn't have a lot of time. Usually, when you have a Super Bowl spot, you work on it for months, and we had just a matter of weeks to, to come up with something. But... You get a, a brief, and they say, we've got this product, we have this much money, we want to advertise it, and we come up with ideas. And they kind of tell you what your demographic is. And in this case, they had actually done some research and recognized that women are, are, are largely buying these kinds of products for men. So how did you go about creating an ad targeted at women for a men's product? Well, we were sitting around with John Belushi... Just kind of hanging out, and uh, no, the our our strategists and account people had worked with the client to kind of come up with that strategy, and it was really as simple as sell body wash, talk to women because they buy it the most, and also it's got to be funny to men, and that was the brief that we handed to uh, Eric and his partner Craig, and it, that's where it all kind of started. So uh, let's, for, for people who haven't seen the ad, it's, uh, we're going to play it. On the radio, you're not going to get uh, the same kind of impact that you get from this one-shot ad. But, um, David, can we just play the audio of the ad, please? Sure. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. 
But if he stopped using Lady Scented Body Wash and switched to Old Spice, he could smell like he's me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on a boat with the man your man could smell like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's an oyster with two tickets to that thing you love. Look again. The tickets are now diamonds. Anything is possible when your man smells like Old Spice and not a lady. I'm on a horse. And for, for people who haven't seen it, he, he moves from um, a bathroom. The bathroom whips up. He's standing on a boat. He walks a little bit and is talking the entire time. And then suddenly at the end, we pan down and he's on a horse. And it's all done in one shot with no CG aside from the diamonds and, and, a, and a couple other things. Now, after this campaign hit, um, one, of, one of the things that you did that was incredibly groundbreaking was that um, you just started this insane social media campaign where uh, you actually made pretty much real-time ads thanking people for tweeting and linking to the ads. And you made 186 short videos in the course of three days thanking these people, some famous like Ellen DeGeneres, but some commenters on blogs, right? Mm. Um, So in advertising, it takes months to get to, to get legal to say okay to an ad, how did you possibly get all this idea through, and h- how were you able to manage that? We made legal not come. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're legally allowed to answer that question. <laughs> well, and it was a very different way to work. I mean, it was really uh, the way I read that you were you were all sort of sitting in a room, you were trading back, editing on laptops and in some cases you actually record you finished the spot in like five minutes five to ten minutes you would finish one of these there were four of us and we all had laptops me and my partner craig and so we would take emails and all the comments and we would all write one at once and then we'd all pass it you know everyone passed the laptop to the left and then we'd punch up each other's writing and we'd do it again two more times and uh then we'd put it in a teleprompter and he'd do it right away and one of us so there's four of us one of us would always be directing Isaiah, and the other three would be writing, and then we would say, pass, and we'd pass the laptops and add jokes to the other people's copy, and then when we would kind of get burned out, we would sort of tap out, and one of us would go direct, and that guy would come write, and so that just went on for, you know, about 10 hours a day. It was definitely the most fun that I've ever had as a writer in advertising, because like you say, it was it was more like a live performance. Like we knew we were sending stuff out and then we had our digital strategists who were sitting there and they'd be like, we're on the Huffington Post. And like, so they were giving us feedback while we're still writing. And it was just this crazy thing where nothing like we normally experience. We usually, well, it's, you know, it's usually, it's, it's like constant rejection. You know, you write 30 scripts and it's no, 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 no. But here there was no one to say no. Imagine, <laughs> well, if, right. imagine if you could ask a hundred people on a date and they all had to say yes. Well, and you're generally... <laughs> It was magic. I've done that. I've done that before. They don't all say yes. Oh, they would. Yeah. <laughs> um, we actually, we did a little bit of research on Old Spice, and um, I'm not sure if you knew this, but um, Old Spice used to be called Old Spice, uh, Ye Old Spice, Cologne and Disinfectant. Um, yeah. And we found uh, an old radio commercial uh, from 1938 for ye olde spice cologne and disinfectant, um, and we thought that there were some actual some interesting differences between the campaigns, but there are some similarities, um, and we just wanted to to have you guys listen and see what you thought. Ahoy, ladies! Have a look, see at that fella of yours. Now take a gander at me. Look at your fella. Take a gander at me. You can't see me. I'm on the radio. But as far as you know, I'm the ruggedly handsome giant of a seafaring man that my voice suggests. And though I can't see your man, I'll bet he ain't half the man I am. I pity you both. But if that Sashi and Nancy would quit using the girly stuff like soap and switch to ye old spice, he could at least smell like me. A proper man smells of gin, tobacco, whale oil, and the business of the night before. 
Such aromas should billow from him like steam from a paddle boat bound upriver. If your man can't muster up such a bouquet, then the next best thing is to use ye old spice. He should douse his face, neck, and chest with as much of the pungent elixir as his soft, tiny, cupped hands can hold. The fiery sting sear in his flesh will pale compared to the smart of the furious slaps to his own cheeks. Meant to smother the infernal flames he believes are engulfing his head. Everything sweet and tender inside him will die. And be replaced with things that are rough and craggy, old and spicy. His kisses will be fewer and fleeting, and for that you'll thank God. For he'll grow whiskers like barnacles that scour the tears off your cheeks like a lathe-shaven sap of newly-hewn deck timbers. Oh, yes, there will be tears. Tears of sorrow when he departs, and bittersweet tears when he returns. And... Tears of pain when ye old spice gets in your eyes or mucous membranes. <laughs> I will make a happy lass out of you and make a man out of that lily-livered lady boy with ye old spice. Uh, I have some coconuts. <laughs> there was a lot of similarities between that ad and what you guys made and I just I don't know I mean with the internet I feel like you may have heard it do you, do you have anything to say about that it was really funny yeah <laughs> I did want to ask you actually one of the tenets at, at Wyden and Kennedy I know is fail harder um, and it's, it's essentially uh, the way that I understand it sort of about um, the respecting the ideas that fail colossally as much as you know, respect the ideas that, that are successful but um, isn't that harder to do when there's so much money on the line? I mean you have some huge clients there so isn't it difficult to not be terrified? Well we succeeded wildly on this one. Yes you did. <laughs> so that's good for the clients but bad for the mantra. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We failed at the mantra. You failed at the failing mantra. I mean, you definitely have to have clients that are, they kind of believe in that because it's, it's their money. So we're lucky enough to have a lot of clients at Widen and Kennedy that buy into that principle that if you're going to do something great, you have to be willing to take a chance that it's going to be a complete disaster. So, and certainly Old Spice, you know, bought into that hook, line, and sinker, with, with, uh, especially with the social media videos. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, I know you watch uh, Mad Men, and, the, and Mad Men was sort of about a time when advertising sort of went from jingles to a conversation a little bit. Where do you guys think advertising is going now? Um, we're far from Mad Men because they're really handsome and have smart ideas. <laughs> we, <laughs> You're we, ruggedly handsome. Wouldn't when, when you say... Yeah. We've both been growing our beards for the same amount of yeah. time. <laughs> Jason looks like Grizzly Adams for our radio audience. Um, and uh, Eric looks like a 13 year old boy. Um, <laughs> Well, we love the campaign. We're all huge fans of it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. From Wyden and Kennedy, it's uh, Eric Coleman and Jason Bagley. Eric Coleman and Jason Bagley of Wyden and Kennedy, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, won't you? Invite us into your homes every week. We're really good guests. Well, Scott Poole drinks straight out of the milk carton in his tidy whities but the rest of us are A-OK. Get more information at livewireradio.org. Once again, Curtis Salgado and Alan Hager. Last night, I 
lost the best friend I ever had Now you've gone away and left me That makes me feel so sad Now it's early in the morning And my love's coming down for you were Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Fitchin Associates, the Falcon Art Community, and Willamette Week. The additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brumberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeff Simmons. Thank you to Rose City Sound. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath, and performer Laura Faye Smith. Livewire's house poet and this show's guest writer was Scott Poole. 
Foley Sound by David Ian. Production management and lighting by Drew Flynn. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Hutley. Craft services by Whole Foods Market. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes, and I just lost a bet. A whole show and nobody mentioned the Favre thing. Wait. Does that count? Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is... Uh, It would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. 